Well, good morning, guys. I am so glad that you chose to come out and worship with us today. And we wanna take a moment and welcome our Grayson campus. If you're a first time or first time in a long time, we are one church in two locations. We're so excited what God's doing there at our Grayson church. And I'm telling you, it's just amazing to see uh, what God is doing in and through that group of body of believers in that area and in that region. We also wanna welcome everybody watching online as well. In case you missed it and you're just now jumping in, I know the people in the house got to hear this, but this past Wednesday, we had one student saved in our student ministry, but we had 186 college students show up and 16 of those students gave their life to Jesus. I think one more time, that's something to shout about, man. Isn't that amazing? I'm saying God is moving in this church and in this region, and he's using uh, Barrel Life Church, really, I'm telling you, just to, to make an impact in this area. And so I'm so thankful uh, for what God is up to and to be able to see the life change through the baptism, at least here at the Moorhead campus, the people who, who are baptized today, man, I'm so, so excited for them. You know, we're in this series called Experiencing God, and that's really what we want you to do, right? We want you to experience God at work, whether at shopping, whether you're at home, at a ball game, class, school, doesn't matter. We want you to encounter God and experience him in an unbelievable way. And that's what this series has been about, is that how God moves in our heart and our lives. And if you want to experience God every single day at work, school, classroom, locker room, doesn't matter, then there's, it's your choice, but you get a choice to choose how you're going to live. You can either live a self-centered life or you can live a God-centered life. Now, let's just face it. We're all selfish. We were born that way, man. If you don't believe it, wait till you have children. Can I get a witness, right? I mean, we, you, we were born to be selfish. It's, it's in our nature. But every day I get a choice. I'm going to wake up today and I'm going to live for me, my purpose, my kingdom, my agenda, what I want. Or I can wake up every day and I can live a God-centered life. God, I want to live for you, your purpose, your will to be done. And I challenged you last week for you to get up and begin to pray that. God, thank you that you woke me up today, which means you have a purpose for me. Show me where you're working and send me there. And man, your emails have blown up. I've got emails from you guys talking about how God is already, I had one on Monday morning at 7.30 already. God, God said, man, I woke up this morning and here's what I was praying and got to work. Bam, God was already doing something, uh, already doing something great. I've, I've read your emails. I'm so thankful that that. You were actually applying and listening to Jesus and as he invites you to, to be used by him in a great way. And that's what this series is about, is experience God in an unbelievable way so that when you encounter him, I promise you, you will always experience him. And when we see God moving in somebody else's life or when God sees, when God begins to work in someone else's life, he's looking for someone who's willing to have a God-centered heart and send them there. And so we see this all through the scripture, especially in the life of Jesus. And that's what I'm going to focus on today. If you have your Bibles, go to Luke chapter 19. Luke chapter 19. If it's going to be on your phone, I'm going to be using the New Living Translation just in case you want to follow with me. If not, it's going to be on the screen. But what we see here is a beautiful picture how God begins to work in someone's life. Jesus says, I only do what my father does and joins the father there and begins to minister to somebody whose heart is hurt and broken. So this is a beautiful story. If you've been in church before, I know you've 
heard this story, especially if you're going back to flannel graph Jesus. Y'all remember flannel graph in, in Sunday school? Some of you old enough people, you know what I'm talking about, right? The flannel graph. Like if you go back there, this is a story that I know you know. In fact, if you've been in church and since you've been a kid, you probably sung a song. There's this little song about this guy, no pun intended, when you know, find out who it is. But there's a song that kids would sing and you would sing in Sunday school class about this guy. And so I'm gonna walk you through this story and I'm gonna show you how here Jesus operated when he saw God the Father doing something, pursuing someone, how he pursued them. Because here's the reality. God pursues you and God pursues me. He pursues us. In fact, just because you're here today is evidence that God is pursuing you. See, some of you come to church today and you think you're pursuing God. Well, I'm going to come and I'm going to get a word and, or I'm going to come and I'm going to do some worship on. I'm going to come and visit because someone's getting baptized today. I'm just going to come and, and check the God thing out. But just because you were here is evidence that God's pursuing you. It's evidence that God's drawing you. Nothing within you makes you want to do things for God. Nothing within you wants you to pursue, if I want to say, spiritual things. So for you to even be here online or in person is evidence that God woke you up this morning because he's pursuing you and he wants a loving relationship with you. So for, for those of you here, I want you to think about that. The reason you're here is because God, God knew you'd be here and he wants to pursue you in a loving relationship with you. And we're gonna check that out in this story in Luke chapter 19. I'm super excited about this, this, uh, this story because I really think this is a very familiar story that shows you how God moves and hopefully that you'll find your place in the story where God will speak to you as well. So if you're ready to get started, so let's go. All right, here we go. Here's how we're gonna roll. Verse one, Jesus entered Jericho and he made his way through the town. There was a man there named Zacchaeus. He was the chief tax collector in the region and he had become very rich. He tried to get a look at Jesus, but he was too short to see over the crowd. Now, let's, let's unpack this. Everywhere Jesus went, people were around him. I mean, people were around him, mobs of people around him. I mean, if you thought, man, if I could just get close to Jesus and get a one-on-one -on -one conversation, life would be changed. Uh-uh. Wherever Jesus went, people flocked. And people always, are always around him. But the Bible tells us there's this guy named Zacchaeus who heard that Jesus was coming to town and wanted to get a glimpse of him. So he was willing to do whatever it takes, but what he realized, because the Bible wants us to know for a reason that he was short, that he couldn't see over the crowd. He couldn't see Jesus. Now here's the question. Why was he trying to get to Jesus? Why do we have, why did the Holy Spirit pin this story specifically in the Bible for us now 2,000 years later to study this? What was it here that God wants us to see or that God wants us to know? So here's this short dude trying his best to see Jesus, but I'm sitting there thinking, why are you pursuing Jesus? Well, let's unpack that. Don't miss what the text says. He was a chief tax collector. Now, that's not what you think today when you think of your CPA, your accountant, you go and do taxes. This is completely different in this time. You see, Rome now owns or runs the providence of Israel, Jerusalem, all these places. So Rome would come down and find wealthy Jews who'd be willing to collect taxes on their behalf. So they would auction off different providences of the land. So obviously Zacchaeus being the chief tax collector, he was probably at the auction and says, and put a high bid to collect taxes in this area and this providence. 
So he won the bid and now he goes and he hires other, we'll get that in just a moment. And he now collects taxes from the Jews, takes a little bit off the top, puts it in his pocket and sends the rest on to Rome. The moment that he became a tax collector, the moment, instantly, he's kicked out of his family, out of his house, out of the synagogue, which means he can't go to church anymore. He's now committed treason against the Jewish people, and now the Jewish people hate him. I mean, literally hate him. They have two classifications. There's the sinner, and then there's the tax collector. The Jews would separate the two because, yeah, that sin is bad, but if you are a tax collector, that is like reserved, like the lowest, hottest point of hell is reserved for the tax collector. Because you have turned your back on the Jewish people, you've committed treason, you're robbing your own people just to send money to Rome, to Caesar. So now the chief tax collector would go find teenage boys and say, hey, I can make you wealthy. I can make you rich. You want to come work for me? And they say, sure, what do I have got to do? Well, I'm going to set up a booth, and in that booth is where you're going to collect the taxes, and then you're going to bring the taxes to me. I'm going to run this whole Ponzi scheme where I'm going to take some off the top, put in my pocket, and then I'm going to send it on to Caesar. And the Jewish boys who would be willing to do this did that. Guess who one, what, which one of the disciples was that dude? Matthew. Remember Matthew was sitting in a tax collector booth, just a teenage boy, Jesus walks by and says, Matthew, follow me. And Matthew leaves the tax collector booth and he begins to follow Jesus. Listen, Zacchaeus ran the whole scheme. This is very important to know because he's the most notorious, wicked sinner, hated by his friends, hated by his family, kicked out of the church. But here he is. Wants to get a glimpse of Rabbi Jesus. I just want to see him. And here's my question I would ask as a Bible student studying the Bible, why does he want to get to Jesus so bad? Why does he want to see him? Because the Bible tells us he was very rich. He had everything that you could ever imagine. All the wealth that you could imagine, he had it. He's very rich. But the Bible also wants us to know that he was short. Now, why is that? Is the Bible trying to make fun of short people? Absolutely not. Why does he want us to know that? Because hidden behind that I believe, is Zacchaeus has always been looking for significance. He's always been trying to find his place. And now probably as a little boy raised up, been made fun of because of his height, turns his back on his own people to become very rich because he thought, if I become wealthy, I would have the stature, I would have the significance, I would have the impact to show the world just because I'm short, I can do something great. But he did. And he had everything. Wealth, pleasure, everything, but he's missing something. And that's the reason why I believe he's seeking after Jesus. You know this. You've done the same thing. If I could just get that job, man, if I can land that job, it's got good pay, it's got good benefits. If I could just get that job, I'm gonna be happy, I'm gonna be fulfilled, and life's gonna be good. And guess what happens? You get the job. About a year later, the honeymoon's over. And now that job you thought doesn't bring the joy you thought you have. If I could just get in that school, if I could just get in that school and make enough on the test and I get enough grades, if I could get a full ride score, if I could just get in that school, then man, I'm gonna be set. I'm gonna, life's gonna be good and I'm gonna be able to do what I wanna do. And then it happened, you get in the school. And it was harder than what you thought. And the joy's not there. 
If I can just make this much money, if I can save and have this much money in my bank account, man, I'll feel secure, I'll feel safe, no matter what happens in the world, I'll get there. And then you get there. You're like, it's not what I thought it would be. Or for you, is the relationship. If I could just get with him, if I could just get with her, if I just had that relationship, man, gosh, I would be fulfilled. I'd be satisfied, I'd just be happy, and, and life would be good. And then you get the relationship. And you wonder why there's still something missing. You see, there's something in your heart that only Jesus can fulfill. And we turn to everything else in the world. I'm not saying they're bad things. Job's a great job to have. The manager that you want, the leadership position, that's awesome. The relationship you desire for, that's not a bad thing. The degree and the job you want, that's not a bad thing. The problem is we think that's what fulfills us. And there's only a place in our heart that Jesus can fulfill. And I personally believe the reason Zacchaeus is pursuing Jesus because he's looking for something else. I've got the money. I've got the significance. Yeah, they hate me, but I could buy their house if I want their house. But I'm still missing something. Something's still just not right. And I believe that's why he's looking for Jesus, because he wants to start over. So what does he do? He pursues Jesus at all costs. Look at verse four. So he ran ahead and climbed the sycamore tree. Let me stop right there. Oh, men don't run. Men don't run in this day. That's very disgraceful for a man to run. Do you remember the prodigal son story? When the father saw his son way off, what did he do? The father ran. Every Jew sitting there that day was a Jewish man said, that's disgraceful and that's dishonorable. You know why? Because they wore these things that may look like you would think a dress, but was a robe and had small undergarment. And you'd have to pick your robe up to run. And when you run, it showed the hind parts of your legs. And that was very disgraceful and dishonoring for a man to do in this time. So when they heard the father ran to the son, that's disgraceful. When they heard the man runs now to hide, that's disgraceful and disqualifying as a man. Now, when we read that, because we don't know the culture, it doesn't make sense to us. But there's a reason why they want to know he ran, that he was willing to look disgraceful, dishonorable. He didn't care what anybody thought just so he can see Jesus. So he runs. Look what happens. And he climbed the tree by the road for Jesus was going to pass that way. And when Jesus came, he looked up at Zacchaeus and called him by name. This is this. Could you imagine this? I love this. Could you imagine this? Jesus talking, telling the story, walks over. There's trees everywhere, by the way. And he walks through the tree and looks. I'm like, yo, dude, what's up, man? What are you doing up in a tree? Like, come on. What are you like? Are you Zacchaeus? Come on, man. Come down. Like he, he notices Zacchaeus. The notorious wicked sinner, Jesus notices him. And so listen to me, Jesus notices you. There's nothing that ever happened in your life that Jesus does not notice. His eye has always been on you. He knows every pain, every situation, every tear that you've ever shed in your entire life. He knows that. He notices you. In fact, he sees you right now. His eye has never left you. See, some of you feel like God's abandoned you. God will never abandon you. You feel like God has forgotten you. God has never forgotten you. You thought your best days are behind you and not in front of you. Not with Jesus. He notices you and he knows exactly where you are. He knows exactly what's going on in your life. You can't come and hide and you can't hide things from him. He knows exactly what's going on and he loves you. See, the, the reality is Zacchaeus thought he was pursuing Jesus. <laughs> but the text lets us know that Jesus was pursuing him. 
Jesus could have went anywhere, but he went to that tree and called him by name. Why? Because he knew his heavenly father was working in Zacchaeus' life. And where God is working, Jesus says, I'm going there. See, the same thing can happen to you, whether you're at work, school, class, locker room, shopping, doesn't matter. If you'll get in position in a loving relationship, knowing that God is pursuing the people around you and have a God-centered heart, God will show you in your classroom, on campus, at, at the restaurant, doesn't matter where you are, he will show you where he's working and he will invite you to be part of it and join him there. And that's exactly how Jesus operated. So Jesus goes up and he calls him by name. He hasn't forgotten who you are. I love this. This is, this, is, this, is, this is amazing. God not only knows where you are, he knows who you are. See, that's a big difference. He don't even know just, not just where you are. He knows who you are. Watch this. He calls him by name. That's super significant. See, names today really don't really mean much, right? I mean, they do as your parent. You're trying to name. We have four kids. And we, I mean, we were literally on our first child. We were leaving the hospital, rolling my wife out in the wheelchair. And before we got the door, they were holding the sheet of paper going, ma'am, you got to name him. Like literally, like we're petrified, right? Because you know this, if you've had children, you know what I'm talking about. You pick a name and all of a sudden one of you go, uh-uh. I, I had a friend in middle school named that and he was the meanest kid ever. There's no way we're naming our kid that, right? And you love the name. Come on, you're laughing because you know what I'm talking about. Or she picks a name because I think this name is beautiful. She says, oh no, I am not. Be I had a teacher in school and that was her name and I just can't stand her, right? I mean, come on, you know what I'm talking about, parents. See, names aren't that significant. What you do, you go to the baby's name, 2021, most popular names, which ones you don't want to pick don't want to do it. You pick a name and there's the name. But back then, the names were so significant because whatever your parents named you, that is what you were hoping to predestine to become that. They wanted you to become what your name means. See, today names don't really have meanings. It's just opinions or feelings or emotions or someone that you liked or just a name that sounds good. Not back then. When a parent named their child, they named it so it would become that. Guess what Zacchaeus' name means? Pure one, holy one, righteous one. Now, put this in context. Jesus, everyone's around him, walks up and looks at a notorious sinner, the worst of the worst, like hell was not even worthy of this sinner. He's so bad, according to the Jews. And Jesus says, hey, pure one, righteous one, holy one, come down. Isn't that contradict itself? Your name means holy and pure and righteous, but you're a Ponzi scheme, scheming off the top and robbing the Jewish people and committing treason. treason. Isn't that ironic? See, Jesus, <laughs> Jesus looks not only at your past, he's past that, he looks at your potential. He calls you what you could be and what you should be within him. So he goes up to Zacchaeus, because hey, I know everybody thinks you're a notorious sinner, but I still think you are Zacchaeus, pure one, righteous one. See, Jesus looks past his past and looks at his potential that he could have in his life. And then Jesus does the most shocking thing ever. This is crazy. Verse five, watch this. When Jesus came by, he looked up at Zacchaeus and he called him by name. Zacchaeus, <laughs> quick, come down. I must be a guest in your home today. And Zacchaeus quickly climbed down the tree and took Jesus to his house in great excitement and joy. This is unheard of. Why? Because rabbis don't go eat with sinners. But this is the Jesus that we serve. This is the Jesus that we follow. See, your sin doesn't make Jesus run away from you. 
Your sin makes Jesus run to you because he sees potential in your life. This is unheard of. Jesus to go eat with the sinner, the greatest honor you could give someone is to invite them to your house and break bread in your house. It's the greatest intimate fellowship you could have with someone. And so in this custom for Jesus to go into a sinner's house and break bread and eat with him is just unheard of. In fact, it's so unheard of. Look what happens in verse seven. But the people were displeased that he has gone to be the guest of a notorious sinner. And they grumbled because this is unheard of. Rabbi Jesus, don't go eat with sinners. He's committed treason. He's an outcast. He can't even go to the temple and worship. He's not even allowed in church. He's been excommunicated from the people of God. And now the one who claims to be God is in his house. He must not be a prophet because he doesn't know who he's eating with. Oh, he knows. That's why he pursues you. So your sin doesn't keep Jesus from you. Yet while you were still a sinner, the Bible says he died for you. He runs to you and pursues you. Why? Because he wants a love relationship with you. But something happens between verse seven and eight that's not recorded. We were not there. We don't know exactly how the conversation went, but the text note tells us something dramatically happened. Somewhere in the meantime, in the meanwhile, Zacchaeus gets radically changed. Something changes in his life, and we're about to see the evidence of that. Hey, I want you to know something. Some of you right now, you're in the meantime. You're between verse seven and eight. And it's in the meantime where miracles happen. It's in the meantime where God shows up. It's in the meantime that you're sitting there, you're waiting, you're hoping, you're praying, you're believing, you're declaring, you wanna be changed. It's in that waiting time. It's in the meantime that God begins to do miracles and shows up. And some of you, you're there right now in the meantime, in the meanwhile. But somewhere between verse seven and verse eight, something radically changes in Zacchaeus and look what happens in verse eight. Meanwhile, Zacchaeus stood before the Lord and said, I will give half of my wealth away to the poor and everyone I've cheated, the people, all of them, I will give on their taxes, I will give them four times much. I'll give them four times back everything that I've ever taken away from them. Folks, this is unreal. Could you imagine? He stands up and says, Jesus, is it. And changed. Something's going on. Here's what's gonna happen. All my money, half of it, give it to the poor. Gone. I'm gonna go back and look at my log and all the person taxes that I charge and overcharge them. I'm gonna find out who they are and I'm gonna send them a refund stimulus, not stimulus, a refund check back on their taxes four times much. And so I was like, hey man, can I get a witness on that? Right? And it's like, we're gonna give it right back to the people, everyone that I've wronged. What happened? You see, when you get a new belief, you'll get a new heart. And when you get a new heart, it'll be showed by your new behavior. That's called repentance. If you say you believe in Jesus, but it's never changed your life, you've got the wrong belief because you can't say you believe and not be changed. You can say it, but if there's no change, if there's no change in your life, then you have the wrong belief. It's evident that Zacchaeus changed somewhere between seven and eight because of what happened in his life. We see this new relationship compelled by love caused him to be motivated by this belief by this obedience that we see right here. And I want you to hear something too. I want you to know this according to the text, how the text is written here. It's not that he gave everything back and then he was saved because there's no good works you could do to save you. 
The text is written in the way so we know it wasn't he did something good and then all of a sudden Jesus saved him. It was because Jesus changed him. Now there was evidence of the change and he did something good. See, so many of you right now, you think it's because of your good works that makes you right with God. Hey God, I showed up today. I put in, you know, I put in my time at church. Surely we're cool. We're cool, God. Everything all right? I mean, I showed up. I even served. Dude, I even dropped a 20 in the bucket when it came by, which we don't pass it by. But when I left, and what happens is you think based on your works that, hey, maybe God might be happy with me. Maybe, maybe God will be okay with me because, man, I showed up. And I want to encourage you. And I want you to know this. Your good works can never save you. You're not saved by your good works. The Bible says, I will show you my salvation through my works. As I work out my salvation not to be saved, I will show you my works because I have been saved. That's why I do what I do. And the text wants us to know. It's not our good works. It's what Jesus did on the cross that saves you. You'll never be good enough. You'll never, and that's why some of you right now, you're wearing yourself out trying to be good, thinking that's what makes you right with God. And here's what you realize. Man, I can't live this Christian life. I can't do this stuff. And God's like, I know. That's why I sent my son who died for you. And if you'll put your faith in him, he will live his good life through you and you'll realize you can accomplish everything I called you to do. Only through him. And we see what happens. He gives it away. Because he got this, and Jesus declares this. Look what he says in verse nine. <laughs> this is, this is fast. In verse nine, Jesus says, whoa, wait, wait a second. Everyone, pay attention. Oh my goodness. Salvation has come to this home today. For this man has shown himself to be a true son of Abraham. Man, I wish I had all day to unpack this verse. This is so significant. This is so, so significant. He says, salvation has come to this house. Obviously, this man now is a true son of Abraham. Why does he say that? Because he restores him. Because the moment he became a tax collector, he's been cut off from the descendant of Abraham. Oh, blood-wise, he may still be blood descendant, but no longer. You've committed treason. You're a notorious sinner. You're not even welcome in the synagogue, which means you have not sacrificed something for your sins for a very long time, which means you're a wicked, wicked sinner. And all of a sudden, with one word, Rabbi Jesus says, this guy is truly a son of Abraham. There's so much good stuff there. And then Jesus says, because salvation has come to his house. You know what Jesus' name means? Yeshua. The Old Testament translation for that is Joshua. You know what Joshua means? To deliver, to save. And Jesus says, salvation has come to this house. Physically, Jesus but also in salvation to save him from his wicked, notorious sin. And now let's restore him publicly by calling him what he truly is, a true son of Abraham. And that ticked off the religious people. Why? Because Jesus is going on to give a quote here from Ezekiel chapter 34 that they would understood. See, in Ezekiel chapter 34, if you want to go home and read this, Jesus Here's we see God saying, I am the great shepherd. My people have scattered. The shepherds that I placed in Israel should have went after my sheep, 
to bring them back. But since they don't go, I will now go as the great shepherd and restore back my people from Israel. And I will judge the shepherds who's supposed to be going after the sheep. Now, if you're a religious guy there that day, Jesus just condemned you for being the shepherd who doesn't go after the sheep of Abraham like Zacchaeus. And he warns you that God will judge you now for not going after them. And we know that by the next verse that Jesus says, which is a very famous verse. If you've been in church, you've heard this before. And in Luke 19, verse 10, listen to what Jesus says. For the son of man came to seek and save those who are lost which is the exact representation of Ezekiel chapter 34. And the moment that those righteous Jewish people heard this, they realized that Jesus was condemning them as the shepherd who went seek the lost sheep of Israel who were the true sons of Abraham. And he, he made a point that where I see my father working, I'm gonna seek after him. You see, Zacchaeus thought he was pursuing Jesus. But Jesus says, I've come to pursue, to seek, to save everyone who is lost. And if you were here this morning and you've never put your faith and trust in Jesus, whether you're watching online or not, because you think, well, pastor, you don't know what I've said. You don't know what I've done. You don't know where I've come from. You don't know what's in my past. You don't know my baggage. You don't know the junk I have. Listen to me, listen to me. He does. And he woke you up and brought you here or here so that you would know he is pursuing you because he loves you. And he wants a relationship with you. And I wanna encourage you, God always initiates the relationship. He initiated with, we see with Abraham, we see it with Adam and Eve, with Moses, with Noah, with the prophets, with the disciples, come follow me, with Paul. He always initiates the relationship and he initiates one with you right now. He wants a loving relationship with you and he invites you into that. Here's a question. If you could stand before God right now and he looks at you and says, describe our relationship. How do you think our relationship is? What would you say? I mean, how would you respond to that? If God said, hey, describe to me how you think our relationship's going. You're like, oh, man, God, I, don't, I mean, I guess okay. I mean, I showed up for church. Sure, I got a brownie point, right? I mean, imagine you get married and you look at your spouse. You say, this is gonna be the most amazing marriage we've ever, ever had. We've always dreamed of. But here's how this is gonna work. On once a week, we're gonna meet at this building. We're gonna talk for about 30 minutes and then we're gonna go our separate ways and we're gonna come back every week and do that. What kind of relationship and fellowship would you have with your spouse? And so many people do that every week. Show up, check the box. Great word, good Bible study, love the worship, amazing and never pursue or have a fellowship with the Father all week until Sunday comes. Well, I guess time to go back and see what he has a word for me again. How do you think that fellowship goes? And the reality is God wants you to pursue him and he pursues you in a daily 
fellowship, to grow in love. Because if it will grow in love, listen, the more you fall in love with Jesus, the more you will see Jesus. The more that you will see Jesus, the more that you'll be drawn to serve where he's at. And the more you see where he's at, the more you will experience him. So knowing that, if you are Jesus and you're asked, what's the greatest commandment, the greatest law, summarize the whole Bible into one verse, what would you say? Jesus tells us in Mark, look what he says. He says, to love, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. For if you will love me that way, if we can have that relationship where you fall in love with me, you will experience me like you've never experienced me before. Jesus says it like this, if you love me, you will obey me. And if you, don't, if you have a disobedience problem, it's not your disobedience, it's a love problem. How much do you really love me? And if you can nail that down, you will experience him like you've never experienced him before. So I'm gonna ask you just for a moment, if you just bow your heads, just for a moment. How's your fellowship with the Lord? You see, he's pursuing you because he loves you. Do we blow it? Absolutely. Do we make mistakes? Absolutely. Do we sin? Absolutely. Are there consequences to our sin? Yes. But he still loves you. And he's loved you right there to that seat or whether you're watching online for you to hear that. Because he wants salvation to come to your house. He wants salvation to enter your heart and only he can do that. I can't save you. A building can't save you. Walking aisle won't save you. Only Jesus can. And if you're here or listening to this in any way, it's because God has drawn you to himself. As a believer, he's drawn you to increase that fellowship to build that relationship with you. If you don't know him, he's drawn you because he wants a relationship with you. And the Bible says it like this, if you believe in your heart, confess it with your mouth, believe in your heart that God raised his son from the dead, you will be saved. Salvation will come to your house, visit you in your heart. You will, he will save you, forgive you of all your sins. Well, what do I do, pastor? Well, the Bible says this, Cry out to him. Whoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. That's you. Just say, Jesus, I believe. I believe you came for me. I believe you died for me. And I believe you got up out of the grave for me. And today I repent of my sin. And I put my faith in you. And if that's you, according to the scriptures, you have now entered the family of God and salvation has visited you. And just in a moment, host is gonna come out, both of our campuses are gonna let you know. Hey, text to the BLC line because we got some information we wanna give you, help you in your walk with Jesus, but really so that we can pray for you too. And maybe you're here today and you say, you know what, man? I gave my life to Jesus. I'm ready to follow him in baptism, which is the first commandment that God gives us as new believers. Man, the, the water's still there. 
We got everything you need. Maybe you want to get the Moorhead. We're here at the Moorhead campus. Maybe you want to be baptized today. Right here at the Moorhead. We're ready. Because I know that's your next step in following Jesus. Father, we thank you so much for your word. God, how relevant it is that we can learn from someone pursuing you, but really you were pursuing them. Someone who thought they had everything, but they missed the main thing, which is the relationship with you. I'm so thankful that you remind us that our sin doesn't keep you away from us. In fact, you run to us even when we blow it. And it's that grace and that mercy that makes us love you anymore, to want to be used by you even more. God, to want to experience you more. So I pray this week as we go our ways, Lord, that you would open up our eyes that we will see you, that we will see you at work around us when we go to work, school, restaurants, home, shopping, doesn't matter. We will encounter you. And invite us, Lord, and send us there. We love you, Jesus. For your name we ask and we pray. Amen.